You might see a grown adult having a tantrum if the server at the restaurant doesn't get their order right, like having a big tantrum, but that's like the child having a tantrum without the ability to self-regulate and to have compassion for the other person. But that person isn't quite there yet, at least not in that moment. The child can be very dependent. So if people who say, oh, I, I don't know how to do this, so I'm just not going to do it. I don't know how to start a podcast or I don't know how to start a business. It's too big of a job. It's like this, this sense of disempowerment and, and I don't know how or I have to have my husband or my partner or my wife or someone help me with this. I have to wait until I get that help before I can do this thing. Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. We're going to do something a little bit different for the next few episodes, and I'm super excited about it. We're going to do a series of four shows on the survival archetypes. It's the child, the victim, the prostitute, and the saboteur. Today, we are going to talk about the child thing that's so cool about these four archetype archetypes that we're going to talk about is that we all have these. This is why we, Caroline Wallace and I have decided to talk about these four because every single one of you has it. But so often we recognize it in other people first. We're going to dive deep today about the child. But first, before we do that, let me give Caroline a chance to introduce herself and tell you all exactly what it is that she does. Well, my name is Carolyn. Thanks so much, Janaya. And um, I am a certified archetypal consultant. And one of the most important things I want to say today is I am certified through Carolyn Mace's program called Sacred Contracts that's also based on her book, also called Sacred Contracts. And she's the one who created this idea of the survivor archetypes that we all have. So I just want to give credit where credit is due before we start. I am certified in her program and I'm wow. certified to teach her work. Awesome. It's funny. Just last week, my, one of my clients sent me like, have you seen this book? I'm totally into it. I'm reading it. And I, just, I had to laugh because I know that we were going to do sacred huh? Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's a coincidence, huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Everything is connected, wow. interwoven somehow or another. So today we're going to talk about the child. And 
I know you all have had that experience where you're dealing with somebody, you're like, oh, I cannot believe they're acting like such a child. They're 35 years old or 55 years old or 90 years old. (laughs) And they're acting like they're five. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, we get these patterns. Well, survival archetypes were created because somehow we have to survive our childhoods, right? And so we learn these skills that are actually pretty good for kids to get through their childhoods. But then when we keep the patterns throughout our lifetimes, that's when they start to trip us up. So what we want to do is become very, very conscious of what we're doing so that we can stop behaving in old ways that do not serve an adult anymore, right? And and where we can step a lot more into our power than we've been previously doing. And sometimes it just takes people understanding the language around it to be able to make that shift. Yeah. Sometimes just having the language to define your experience makes all the difference for the energy or the emotions to actually move. Before we dive deeper, though, I would love to know and for you to share with our audience, why is it that you work with the archetypes? Like, what was it or why is this work so important to you? I think it's just so very powerful because when you claim an archetype as yours, so in Carolyn Mace's program, she says, we all come into this incarnation with 12 archetypes. And when you really put the effort into figuring out which are your 12, so the four that we're going to talk about in the next few sessions are the same for everyone, but then there's eight that are different for everyone. And when you start really thinking about them and resonating with them and saying, oh yeah, that's me for sure. There's like a, it it creates a validity for your life. It creates kind of a a place where you're like, oh, that's me. I don't have to hide this part of me anymore. Like I have the hermit archetype, just for example, it's one of mine. And so if I, you know, my whole life, if I felt like I was being no fun because I wanted to leave a party early or maybe didn't want to go out on a Saturday night and that wasn't part of the culture that I was around and I felt bad about myself and maybe either pushed myself to do something that didn't feel right or or stayed home and that felt kind of bad too. Now I can just say I have the hermit archetype and I might go out, you know, most weekends of the month, but there's some weekends and I stay in and I need to do that. And not only do I need to do that, The work that I'm doing as the hermit, this is just an example, when I'm thinking about human consciousness and I'm spending my time thinking about how I'm going to evolve my practice so that I can bring more wisdom into my work with clients, that just helps everyone. So it just behooves us to just claim our archetypes with pride, even if we're still expressing them in the shadow. It's that that's okay. Well, and that's such a big part of being the wolf, right? Being who you truly are. So collecting your archetypes and really being able to resonate with the parts of you and what you need for you to operate as your best self, what you need to be able to, when you are your best self, 
when you're the fullest expression of yourself, you actually give back to the world in such that a powerful way. way. You can be so confident in it. And then once you're so filled with your own, not, not self-importance, but your own identity and confidence and can then move forward. Yes, we have so much more to offer people from that place. Absolutely. And that's such a big piece of it, right? Your identity, who you think you are is a big part of who you become. And so I know there's a big part of a lot of people that feel like they did not get their needs met. And that's when these survivor archetypes tend to stick around. Like if we were raised, which, you know, I, some people are raised with these wonderful caregivers that support us every step along the way. I don't know how many of us get to actually have that. Sure, comes in, education level comes in, financial status of your family comes in. Like there's a lot of different players. But if people get everything they need, then they can very easily step into the light side of all of these survival archetypes and not have too much trouble. But a lot of us kind of struggle getting out of those patterns because we didn't always get what we needed as children. And it's our job as adults now to provide that for ourselves because there's no more excuses. We're grownups now. <laughs> right. No excuses. Right. So before we dive into exactly what the child archetype is all about, let's say, and you know, you've said that each of these archetypes have a light side and a shadow side. And we always think the shadow side, right? It's the good and the evil. <laughs> so the bad qualities, the good qualities. So what are some of those qualities that we might see in other people first, because we can always see it in other people before we can see it in ourselves. Mm -hmm. What are some of those qualities that somebody might be running around in their child archetype? Okay, so in the shadow, the child tends to be immature, you know, not, has not stepped into their true adulthood yet. Child, you might see a grown adult having a tantrum if they don't get, if the server at the restaurant doesn't get their order right, like having a big tantrum, like that's, you know, it may be a couple of other things, but that's like the child having a tantrum without the ability to self-regulate and to have compassion for the other person, which is where we're headed, but that person isn't quite there yet, at least not in that moment. The child can be very dependent. So if people who say, oh, I have to wait for, I have to talk to my to, or I, I don't know how to do this, so I'm just not going to do it. I don't know how to start a podcast or I don't know how to start a business. It's too big of a job. It's like this, the sense of disempowerment and, and I don't know how. That's like the child archetype coming through in the shadow where I have to have, you know, my, my husband or my partner or my wife or someone help me with this. I have to wait until I get that help before I can do this thing. And sometimes that's absolutely true, but sometimes it's a pattern of dependency that you really want to watch if that sounds like you maybe or, or someone that you know. Um, children in the shadow tend to compromise themselves a bit. And here we may be getting into a little bit of the prostitute archetype, but they really, really want to belong because a child who maybe is cast out from their tribe or their family is not going to survive very long. So it behooves a child, really, like a true child, to work on getting the culture right, getting the norms right, so that they don't get cast out from the tribe. 
So they want to belong. As we get older, if we still stay stuck in that, we're not coming into our full maturity as an adult with our own thoughts, our own way of doing things. We're not evolving our consciousness and being confident enough to say, actually, I disagree with whatever my family of origin taught me here. And I'm going to stand on my own two feet and have this other thought, this other thing over here. That's part of the child's evolution into more of an adulthood. And as the child evolves, we call her more of a sovereign, a sovereign of her life where she can just stand in her own adulthood, in her own maturity, in her own independence and move forward a little more that way. She gets Don't the ability to self-regulate your emotions without going into a tantrum. That's important. For <laughs> It's funny. So, okay, I, of course, I'm always going to think about my own life when we talk about these things. And, and of course, because I'm a career empowerment coach, I think about work and how these things show up at work. And would you say that the, the putting on that mask, putting on that good face to show up to work and you know, do it right, like the way everybody thinks it should be done. Is that part of the, is that the child archetype? It can be. It can be a lot of different things too. Yeah, it can be. The perfectionist is also a a very apropos archetype for that. But the other thing, the other part, as I said earlier, before we started, there are different types of children. So when you're choosing your archetypes, Child is just sort of a generic term, but you want to choose if you are a magical child, a wounded child, an orphan child. These are all the different children that Carolyn Mace lays out in her book, Sacred Contracts. So for some, or a parentified child, for example. So some of these child archetypes require the child when they actually were children to grow up way too fast and they've lost their sense of play and they, they're super over responsible, some of them. And they, they, And so I think that maybe is what you were speaking to just a moment ago when you show up and you have to do it right. I would love to know what child archetype that person resonates the most with. And if there's a sense of over-responsibility, having to get it right, a little less playfulness maybe in their personality. And that's just another way of looking at child in the shadow. And the good news is all of this can be evolved. So even if that sounds like you or someone listening, it's like, oh, I have that. It's okay. Okay, we can evolve it. It's okay. Well, I definitely know when I was doing a little reading up, and I there's the different kinds of children. I was like, oh my goodness, I am all these kinds of children. I think there was one maybe that I wasn't, and I had you know my background is neglectful, traumatic. I had to grow up really fast. I also had this magical thinking you know it's probably the part that kept me alive probably was yes and and so we talk about these ways that we survive okay can you tell me a little bit about the wounded child and then i can maybe add some story of mine to i think we all understand when we have examples a little bit more and i think the wounded child's a Big one for a lot of people, would you say? I think it's I think it's the most popular one. The wounded child has some kind of wound generally that has occurred, has has happened from the caretakers, whether it's your parents or whoever took care of you when you're young. And the wounded child as an adult kind of goes through their life thinking, Well, 
I can't have this thing because of what happened to me in the past. And the blame is always on what happened to them in the past. And oh my goodness, I can resonate with this as well. I have, have done that many, many times. Like I'll, I could never have a big, brilliant career because of the anxiety that came from, you know, the bullying that happened in my childhood, whatever. And so what has to happen for the child, the wounded child to evolve to become the sovereign in her own life or his own life is to bring an element of taking responsibility for their wounds, even though they weren't responsible for putting the wounds there, they are responsible for healing them now. And the other piece is to bring a sense of reconciliation. I mean, part of me wants to say the word forgiveness. A lot of people don't like the word forgiveness, which I get. I totally get that. But to somehow reconcile and be present to the fact that the people who harmed us in the past also had their own patterns, also had their own things going on, and taking things as a whole and saying, maybe there's no one really to blame here. Maybe I just need to start becoming the person who I want to be now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah. such a big piece of it is we can't change what happened in the past. I mean, there's no if ands, or buts until somebody invents a time machine that works. <laughs> we can't change what happened in the past. And if we can't change what happened in the past, do we want to stay in that place of being the wounded child? For me, personally, I, I was definitely hyper-independent. And then I would, if I got into a relationship, if I got into a situation where I was in love and I let myself actually be in love, then all my hyper independence would break down and I'd become totally codependent. Ah, oh. past Jenea. Yeah. And then even later, as I started going to therapy, I did like 10 years of therapy and I started uncovering the some of the wounds and I'm like, oh my God, I have mommy issues that I just didn't even know. And I, like, how could I not know now that I <laughs> now that I'm on the other side of that? Like, how yeah. could I not know? My mom would take out for days at a time and I wouldn't know where she was. Wow. My, there was somebody to care for me, but I didn't know where she was. So mm -hmm. I still had that feeling of abandonment. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I know that as I started to unravel and become more self-aware, I totally slipped into more of that place of feeling like blaming, like blaming mm -hmm. her for all of my problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It also sounds like you have some of the um, abandoned or orphan child in there too. Oh yeah, which I know pretty well myself. And and the with the orphan with the orphan child when they become an adult and they haven't healed their wounds, it's the issue of belonging becomes so very important. So I can see how when you maybe got into relationships and you fell in love, the belonging was so important that like all of that independence went by the wayside because that was such an important need that that young child had at the time. So now as an adult, what you probably have already worked through brilliantly. It seems as though you have what's there to move away from. Is there to move away from either hyper independence 
or too much dependence. There has to be a balance, right? That's right. what the child who's coming into her sovereignty understands that there's a balance. So you want to move more toward that balance. You don't want to say, I don't need anybody because that's just not realistic. And you want to say, I can't move forward without being completely enmeshed with this other person because that's not realistic either. But finding the balance. So you want to move more toward balance and healing and being as mature and aware as you can so that maybe if you do want to be in a relationship, you can bring that full, healed, balanced self to a relationship now instead of like the the fragmented part of you. Well, and the way this really showed up for me in work too, when I had a job that I cared about, I gave it my all. Like mm -hmm. I did everything above and beyond. And it was like, I had to move heaven and earth to make sure that I was not fired to make sure that I was not let go, to make sure that I was indispensable. Yeah. yeah. And so I sacrificed my personal life, my well-being, my health, all of those not things abandoned, right? to, not, to be not be abandoned. Yeah. So if you're moving away from that now, what is a more healthy way to move toward? Like, what would you do now or what are you doing now? How would you handle that same situation if you were going to move more into your sovereignty and grow up that child a little bit? So now it's a balance. I mean, for me, it's like <laughs> I work with people to create that work-life balance. This is such a big piece of it is to know that your work is your work. It's only one facet of your life. Okay. Your relationship is your relationship. It's mm -hmm. only one facet of your life. And I think all of us, when we're wounded in one way or another, we swing from pendulum away over here all the way to pendulum way over mm -hmm. here. And we spend very little time in the middle. And so the work that I do with people, it's really bringing together those inner conflicts so that the swing is more like just a little Good. swing. Good. And then when there is a trigger, right, which will inevitably happen, a trigger that might really entice us to go back into the orphan child or become hyper independent, which however it works. So you're better able to manage. Like, is there a trigger that you can think of either in your employees or in yourself or as your, your past selves? that you really had to watch for to make sure that you weren't swinging too far one way or another? Well, now what I look for, it, it's really simple and it's going to work with all of these archetypes is, do I feel safe? Mm -hmm. If I find myself sliding into actions that are evidence that I do not feel safe, Good. then I've got to stop and do some nurturing of some sort to make sure that I feel safe. So, you know, if I am not going to bed on time because I am working until, I don't know, midnight when I'm trying to go to bed between 9 and 10, that's a sign that I'm not safe. Good. Especially if it's like a deadline, if there's not a deadline that's like the next day, right? And a deadline indicates that I'm not safe if I haven't like balanced my time. So there's such a piece of learning how to keep the nervous system feeling safe. 
<clears throat> so that I don't slide into that overdoing it to prove my worth. That's just so beautifully said. So your intention then is to keep your nervous system balanced. I mean, I'm sure there are other intentions too, but that's a good one. So yes. do you have some kind of a daily ritual, daily practice to make sure that your nervous system stays balanced? So keep that balance. Well, I do. I mean, my daily routine, I wake up, I meditate, I do some writing, and then I go get a coffee, go for a walk in the park. Wow. So you have a lot of them. So writing, meditation, and walking. Yeah. So these are just some of the things I would do if someone came to me with arc for archetypal consulting. I would help them think of what do you want to move away from? What are you interested in moving toward? What are some triggers to watch out for? What's your intention? And then how do we ritualize it to bring it into your daily habits? So thank you for, for saying that because I think that just we really showed a lot of people about how to do this stuff. So before we go deeper, I want everybody to know how to get in touch with you, how to get in touch with me. So let's uh, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, because I know this has piqued some people's interests and they might want to do some work with you on their own archety archetypes mm -hmm. and, and figure out their magical 12. You can find me at yourradiantlife.net. And my email is carolyn at yourradiantlife.net. And I do have a whole big 90-day program if people want to do their whole archetypal wheel. But I also do one-on-one -on -one appointments for something just like this, like a one-time thing or one or two appointments. And we might have a follow-up if the person wants that. So you don't have to make this big 90-day commitment. You can do something a lot smaller just to see if the work is right for you. So. Awesome. And for those of you who are listening and cannot see the banner on the screen, Caroline is C-A-R-O-L-Y-N at yourradiantlife.net. Okay. And if you guys are struggling, of course, with the work stuff and your bosses are driving you crazy, they're all acting like children and you don't know how to deal with it, you're feeling completely triggered. Let's have a conversation and see if we can work something out for you. You can do that at elevatebookacall.com. If you guys are not driving, open up your browsers right now. If you want to work with your archetypes and with Caroline, type in yourradiantlife.net. And if you want to have a conversation with me, type in elevatebookacall.com. So, Caroline, I want to really talk about the triggers of the child. What sends you into the child place? Like, what are some of the common triggers and things that set people off? Well, let's think, let's think through the different types of, of children. So the, the innocent child, which is, I, I don't know, I think of, of her as just a, a more generic, the generic child archetype. A trigger could be when someone does something that you're shocked by or something really disappointing, lets you down, for example. That can just crush an innocent child without being like, like why in the world would this person do such a thing? Like, like someone breaks up with you when you were not expecting it at all and you feel crushed. Like that can really take an innocent child down. 
for someone with the orphan child archetype, it's not being invited to the party, not belonging, feeling like they don't belong. Seeing the party happening two days later on Facebook when you weren't invited, that can be a trigger for an orphan child. And for a wounded child, just getting that wound reactivated, I think exactly like you said, oh my gosh, there's a deadline. That's not safe. Let me overwork to make sure that I don't get cast out. I'm going to be over-responsible about this and make sure I meet my deadline five days ahead of time. And what about you? What's your typical child that shows up? I tend to resonate most with the orphan child. And the whole belonging piece is huge for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I know with my clients, the belonging piece is so huge. So much as we peel back the layers, it's, I don't want to be alone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just the the feeling, well, in my past, of course, much more than now, but not having the, the friend group. You look around and see everybody else with the friend group and you're not in one. I mean, this was like from way back in high school, my high school days. But as you heal that, as you start having confidence in yourself, you start to be able to see your own role in some of these situations. And then you start creating your own belonging and your own authority in your life. The sovereign, as you move out of the child archetypes and into more of a sovereign piece, which is what we're looking for, that balance, you belong to yourself and you belong to your own authority and you don't let other people define where you belong and where you don't. You own that for yourself. So what does it look like? When we're moving from the child, say the orphan child that needs to belong to the sovereign child. And I know this is a big one, I think, for people who are doing a lot of work and leveling themselves up because those people that you used to resonate with, they don't click the same way anymore. Yeah. So there you there's sort of this dead zone in between where before you found the new people you click with and you're not really in alignment with the old people. So I think that's a big one, like moving to that place of sovereign and feeling like you're okay on your own. Is this kind of what it's about? I think this is absolutely. And Carolyn Mace talks about that. I think in one of her video lectures, she talks about the spiritual, spiritual growth is sometimes you can feel like you're on a train and your train is moving along. And sometimes when you get to a certain stop, some people have to get off your train. They just have to get off because you're moving on. And some people are going to have you get off their train. So that happens too sometimes. And as you go through these stops toward better leveling up, you said, better versions of yourself. Some people get off. You might be riding with an empty train for a while. And then the next stop, some really new, wonderful people are going to get on. So just hold on for that piece because that's going to happen. And you said something that's really important there, too, is you're going to let go of some people because they're not in alignment and other people are going to let go of you. And of course, that's going to trigger the orphan. It could potentially trigger the wounded child too. And yeah, I know from my own personal experience, I had some really big heartbreaks in my life. My best friend of 15 years stopped talking to me. And years later, like just off of one thing, I stood up for myself, right? 
or in my mind, I stood up for myself and I had never stood up for myself in that way. It was like I needed something. I asked for it. The person didn't follow through and I got upset and I stood up for myself and then they stopped talking to me forever. But later she told me that she was also going through a really rough time in her life and she just couldn't handle my need. And in my mind, of course, I thought I'm not needy. I don't ask anything from anybody because right now it's a hyper independent swing of the pendulum. Like, I don't know. I just wanted to, I needed to sit with somebody and be quiet with somebody who cared. That's all I wanted. It's all I needed, which is a very tiny thing to ask. But I, I also understand when somebody else is in a place of spiraling out, they can't eat it. It's not, yeah. they can't do that. So she was taking care of herself and I can see that now. Well, that's well said. Yes. That's that kind of gum we get into. Like what, if you do want to do the whole archetypal wheel with me or any archetypal consultant, I think what you're talking about now is like, we went from talking about your first house, which is your identity to your seventh house, which is how can I be in relationship with other people? And then, then you've got two, two different ar archetypes or like maybe even 24 different archetypes bumping up against each other. And it becomes much more complicated when you're trying to interact and have these, have these relationships with other people, because there is some compromise and, and a lot of it isn't about us anymore. It's about what the other person is dealing with. So right. to not take it so personally. I think, I think that's exactly right. And I think particularly with the child, well, and maybe the victim will get into that next episode. I think that taking things personally is a big piece of those two archetypes. Would you say that's true? I think so. Taking things personally and where are we not taking responsibility for ourselves? Even if we didn't create a situation, we still might have to do something to clean it up somehow or take responsibility for it or, okay, this big mess happened. Maybe it wasn't your fault, but what are you going to do about it now? It's a responsibility that has to happen. Otherwise, it's just going to stay a big mess. Right. So. Well, and that's, if we keep doing the same thing over and over, the same things are going to happen. So that friend, that particular friend leaving me, so to speak, was it wasn't the first time. It wasn't the first time. It wasn't the last time. I had this pattern or I had this pattern of all my friends like just walking out. Mm -hmm. That's the orphan child. That sounds like an orphan child pattern to me. Yeah. And so as I did my own work and my own healing, I had to look at oh, where am I? This keeps happening. I am the common denominator. <laughs> going to say that. Yeah. yeah. I am the common denominator. And well, you know, it could be that I choose crappy people. That could be, it could be just that simple as I choose people who don't have the emotional capacity to show up for me. Could be. You know, I definitely have that pattern. It could be that when I really love somebody, I get needy. Yeah. yeah, could be. Yep. I mean, all kinds of places where I got I was able to over the years to look at myself and take responsibility. And the thing is, is everybody always says it takes two. And yes, it does take two to create whatever situation 
But if you choose to look at it as I am 100% responsible for the outcomes in my life, for whatever you create, yes, then it gives you the power to change your life. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Because if we're sitting here thinking it's 50-50, all the time, I need someone to behave a certain way in order for myself to feel okay or to be happy, you are going to be waiting a very long time for that. Exactly. So when you make that choice to move from the child into the sovereign Mm -hmm. and say, I am 100% responsible for my life. I cannot change what happened in the past, Mm -hmm. but from this point moving forward, I can control the things that I do and I can make different choices to create different outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's, yes. And that the highest level of the child archetype, this is according to Carolyn Mason's sacred contracts, we call her the guardian of innocence. Mm -hmm. And the guardian of innocence has owned that sovereignty own the fact that she can protect herself. She can take responsibility herself. She can make those changes that she needs to make. And she holds all of that. But then some of the innocence of the child can come back then because she's so clear. And we're going to talk about this a little bit with the victim too and the highest highest level of the victim. But she's so clear that she can take responsibility and protect herself and be a mature adult in the world that some of that playfulness then can come back. And some of that innocence can come back and she can just have this presence and, and enjoy life again like a child would. So it's like this whole full arc of, of how these archetypes work through all the different layers of consciousness. And I can speak to that really clearly because my life, like before my big, big trauma that happened when I was four and those that you've been following me for a long time, you know what it is. but. Before that happened, I was this little ball of joy. And before that happened was like the last memory. I mean, not anymore, but a number of years back, say 10 years back, it was the last time I could remember feeling pure, unbridled joy. It was me with my best friend, Carl. He was an adult. He was a Vietnam vet. And he would sing, play the guitar. We would sing songs. We would throw magical energy balls at the willow tree. And just when I finally was able to access those memories and I could feel that pure joy and light, it was purely magical. We were able to bring those back as an adult. And it was part of me that I completely shut down. Up until I started doing all of the healing work, all of the healing work. And a prime example of where we are now is yesterday. It was raining, summer rain in New York all day long. I went for an eight mile walk with my umbrella and I was just walking through the rain, making up songs. (laughs) There was... There was a place called Tacosina. I'm like, are we going to Tacosina? Everyone's going to Tacosina. Like as loud as I could through the rain. Good. Good. The crowd was delighted. Where you get to have those pieces of the piece of the child that is 
brilliant, not the part that doesn't know how yet. I use that word yet. It's very important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not the part that thinks they're going to be abandoned because they know when when you know that you're just not going to abandon yourself, you'll never be abandoned. Yes, when you have the, your own authority of your own belonging. When you've taken the steps to heal the wounds, yeah, you get to access that again. Good. Good. And that's what therapy is good for. I, I'm also a therapist, but I'm not, as an archetypal consultant, it's different from therapy. So if people have not yet worked through those deep, deep childhood wounds, before they come to archetypal consulting, I would love for them to do some work with a therapist first because archetypal consulting is not the same as therapy. I just want to put that out there. I mean, I'm happy to work with anyone who wants to work through some of these archetypes. I would love to, to have you. But, but if we decide together that therapy would more apropos for now, then that might be something to look at also. And one of the things with discovering the archetypes, I think, a big piece of it, one is self-awareness. And two, I think, is coming to acceptance about yourself. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can do archetypal work without a high level of self-awareness because you have to choose your archetypes. You have to know who you are to do that. Oh, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I know going back before... I did 10 years of therapy, and honestly, it wasn't the greatest thing for me. It was more the work that I do now that was the thing that helped me heal the wounds, which is why I do what I did. (laughs) But it did help to open up my self-awareness. It opened up another layer. I was always trying to figure out why I did the things and understand myself. And and it definitely helped me do that. So it was very powerful for me in that way. In that way. All right. Is there any other thoughts that we need to say about the child before we wrap up this episode? The only thought I had is I love the story that you just told about singing in the rain. And if someone is wanting to bring some more of the joy of the child back into their life, and we wanted to, to create sort of a daily ritual that they could maybe try for a week or two to see if practicing that could bring some of that joy in. I don't know. Do you have any ideas or I, I could help too? Like what kind of ritual could someone engage in on a, for a week or two? To, to actively work on bringing that level of joy into their life? Well, the things that I love to do, right? Singing is one of them, even though I'm not the greatest singer. I had a music teacher shut me down when I was six, and I didn't sing out loud until I was... Right, you're singing out loud now. Yeah, <laughs> on the air to the world. <laughs> so singing is one, dancing is another. So I think another thing that ends a great way to bring up a little piece of joy is put on a great song and dance on a great song. song. Good. That's a good ritual. If someone wants to bring some of that back. Yeah. I think another one is to call a friend and talk to each other about what you're grateful for, what you're excited about and with no complaining, only the things that it's your practice you're happy about. 
There's this exercise that Kyle Cease does. He calls it Kylegoing. And this is a great one, too, that brings joy. And you do it. You basically say, like, if we're going to, I'll demonstrate with you for a second. So you jump into the future. So Carolina, remember a month ago when, when we were doing the Be the Wolf episodes and it was so cool because you were talking about these joy practices and it inspired you to start doing more joyful things. And because of that, I started doing more joyful things. And then I discovered that I really love to run. And who knew that running would be so fun? So doing this is where you jump out into the future and you say, I remember when you just start to talk. And what it does to your mind is it gives your nervous system the sense that it's already happened. So it's a way to help create joy. So I could have also said, I remember when I found that music teacher and he went and I learned how to sing actually better. And so then it made me even more empowered to sing out loud wherever I was. And so you can talk about these things in a way, like if you're a little scared, if there's something that's a little resistance, you feel shy Mm -hmm. about it. You can give your nervous system the sense that it's already happened. I love that. Thank you. That's really powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Good. Good one. I do it to my refrigerator because I live by myself. So there's not always another person. And the refrigerator is human height, right? So I can talk to it like it's a human. Sound like you have a lovely sense of play. (laughs) And, you know, it's one thing that I want you all to know and hear. You get to see this fun sense of play now. But for most of my life, that was shut down. Most of my life, it was too dangerous. Mm-hmm. It was too scary for me to, it was dangerous for me as a child, physically and emotionally. But those wounds carried forward and it was difficult for me to have that sense of joy. You're going to access it. Yeah. Yeah. Such a beautiful example of what can happen when you work through that child. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your story. Thank you. All right. So now we're going to wrap this up. But remember, if you want to work with Caroline, open up your browsers, type in yourradiantlife.net. And if you want to have a call with me to get your work stuff in order so you can actually have some of the joy at work, uh, type in elevatebookacall.com. And remember, everybody, we're going to wrap this up, but remember that we have more episodes coming. So stay tuned. Carolyn, thank you for being here today. And remember, everybody, when we feel good about who we are and what we do, we create joy and elevate humanity. We'll see you for the next episode of the Archetype Series. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be the Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.